We speak too much and feel too little. Don't give yourself to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life would be violent and all will be lost. That train is about the only thing that tells me civilization still exists. Yeah. It's transporting coal and wood chips from Loblolly Pine monocrop forests, but it tells us mother culture is still operational. We still have work to do. Well, four times a day, it's a good reminder. Welcome to the beginning episode of Denusian, the Daniel Griffith podcast, where we nurture untamed and undomesticated conversations surrounding the ideological illusions of mother culture in a humble and very hopeful attempt to co-create a more resilient and more beautiful world. This episode is the beginning in a series on being wild like flowers. This series uh, is uh, made possible through uh, Morgan and her grace and her love. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) It is also um, viable given uh, all of my travels. I'm constantly in community with an amazing array of beautiful people, beautiful souls, true movers, shakers, true bluers, call them what you will. We've long desired to start a podcast echoing and recording these conversations uh, that happen uh, around a fire, around a dining room table, around a uh, wilderness walk, what have you. And I think this is going to be a fun platform for us to really emerge into a fine state of conversational or uh, community-based abundance, dealing with this idea of denusion. So before I think we can jump into this first episode of this first season, maybe a little bit about what is denusion. It doesn't exist in the dictionary. It's a combination of words. Denude, which is your least favorite word in the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Denude, it means to strip naked, to reduce down. Um, That's the first part of that. And then usion or illusion, denuding the illusion. Um, John Ralston Saul uh, wrote a book, um, Unconscious Civilization. He also wrote another amazing book, Voltaire's Bastards, who uh, I had the opportunity one time to ask what Alan Savory, the founder of Holistic Management and the co-founder of the uh, Savory Institute, what what one book should a human being read today if you're interested in saving the world or at least getting out of the way of the world, saving itself? And he said, Voltaire's Bastards by John Ralston Saul. Um, but there's a quote in, in Saul's book, Unconscious Civilization, where he says that it's this ideology, this illusion of ideology that humanity right now is so perplexed and encompassed by, governed by. But it's an illusion, and that's what the rest of the book is about. This podcast is really our attempt to step back, have some really hard, untamed and undomesticated uh, conversation surrounding the stripping down of this modern illusion of safety, of economic stability, 
of sustainability. I mean, right now we're working on the second season, although we're starting the first, but we're working on the second season, which is all about sustainability in regeneration. I bring that up only to say that I am so absolutely excited for that second season. It's coming out hopefully around the launch of uh, my next book, uh, which is uh, heavily pertaining to that subject matter. Um, but we'll get to that in time. So hold on, <laughs> keep following us. This first season on Being Wild Like Flowers um, is really a series based around a book that I wrote and released last year. Um, its title is Wild Like Flowers. And it, it, it's really a book that's examining the idea that regeneration is not about soil health. It's not about biodiversity. Regeneration is not about carbon sequestration or water cycles or mineral cycles or happy cows or healthy cows. It's not about sustainability. It's not about local food. It's not about certified organic, certified organic agriculture. It's not about the usage or the lack of usage of glyphosate, paraquat, 2,4-D, grazon, and all the other amazing herbicides and pesticides um, that mother culture so entirely depends upon. No, no, no. Regener regeneration as a thing, as the book promotes, and as this series will constantly come back to is this idea that regeneration is not soil health or those things, but it's relationship. That regeneration is relationship and it is not anything else. Soil health is a byproduct of healthy community function. Healthy community function in an ecosystem, in the ecosystem, not in mother culture, but in mother earth, the ecosystem of mother earth is a byproduct or I should say has a byproduct of soil health. Community produces healthy soil. Focus on community healthy soil is a derivative. It's innately within the functioning of the system. It's inevitable. Don't focus on the product. Focus on the function. The function is relationship. To the land, to each other, to ourselves. I was teaching a course, that's a good point, the other day, and we were talking about biodiversity. And I'm holding my hands right now and I'm making this sphere. It's like I'm holding onto a basketball. And I made the comment that biodiversity is not linear. You don't measure biodiversity by counting the number of species of grasses in your pasture. Biodiversity is a multidimensional sphere. You have grasses and forbs and legumes, sedges and rushes and, and, and shrubs and trees and all the other vegetative communities. And then you have the heights of those vegetative communities. Biodiversity is not just in species, but also in type and height. And then you have root understandings. And then you have a biodiversity in different microclimates and edge effects coming together to form the greater ecosystem, the greater community. You also have biodiversity in human sectors. And a conversation that's entirely missing today in the regenerative movement. Conversation we hope to have in this, in this series here very soon. Biodiversity is a multidimensional sphere. It's not linear, which is really what relationship is about. In, in the book, Wildlife Flowers, I'll ruin one of the chapters for you. We talk about the root understanding, the etymological, grammatical, linguistic, that is, root of the word cultivation. I think agriculturalists today call them farmers, ag agrarian types. What we would all agree that agriculture is cultivation. I mean, it's literally in the word. We are cultivators of the earth. And it's interesting when you take that word cultivation, which is English, and you take it back to the original Latin, it's the word cultivo. 
which literally is translated as to till, to toil, or to turn over. That's the world we live in today, yes. Modern and industrial production-based farming, not factory farming, production-based farming, modern farming, regenerative or commercial does not matter, production-based farming, that's exactly what we're doing. We are tilling, we are toiling, the most important word there, and we are definitely turning over. It's active disturbance, but not from a holistic end. There's something uncomfortable about toiling, tilling, and turning over. Well, it's interesting, taking that word cultivo, the Latin for cultivation, the English, one step further back, we get to the Greek. The Greek word, it's called a cognate, the foundational word of the Latin cultivo is a Greek word called pelo, P-E-L-O. And it doesn't mean to till or to toil or to turn over. No, it actually means something entirely opposite. Palo, the cognate of cultivo, the foundational word of cultivation means to be or to become. Cultivation in its original sense requires relationship. Not no-till drills and tractors and inputs and control and harvests. No, 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 no. That's Latin. That's very Roman. Relationship requires being and becoming. It requires understanding complexity and managing complexity and not controlling complicated seed manuals, if you will. It requires relationship. Through the rest of this series, this season on being wild like flowers, we're going to explore this topic in, in unbelievable depth. Uh, we have a whole slew of conversations lined up. Some of them already had. We're looking at this idea of complexity versus complicated, relationship versus control, being versus tilling or toiling or turning over, cultivation versus payload, really. And I think a fun, fun and exciting way to, to really kick this first episode off um, is to actually, we're going to step into a recording of the last chapter of the book, Wild Lake Flowers. If you're interested in reading the book, I encourage you, pause the episode here, buy it. It's a five-hour read. It's 150, 200 pages. Um, reads more like poetry and prose than anything else. It's a book short of short stories. Um, if you're unsure, continue listening to this podcast episode. Listen to the last chapter. I will read it to you here in just a few moments. And uh, we can go from there. If you're interested in buying the book, you can go to robiniainstitute.com. On the top right-hand corner, you'll see a link. It says, buy the book. I encourage you, if you do go this direction, you do intend to buy the book, use the coupon code DENUSION. Use the coupon code DENUSION for 50% off the book and free shipping. We're just excited to get the book in your hands and have you follow along with this season. So again, robiniainstitute.com, click buy the book, Denusian as a coupon code to get 50% off, and uh, that'll be in the show notes as well. He might even sign it for you. I will happily sign it for you. <laughs> we are trying to build community. Any other comments before we get into the book? I don't think so. Let's do it. With that, Enjoy. Enjoy. 
and the sands in the glass stopped. For a pure white moment while gravity sprinkled upward, like rain rising. It's one of those magical places wise people like to talk about. One of those things they say about it that is true is that once you've been there, you're there forever. Mary Oliver It is impossible to look back over the steady flow of life without a certain fondness for a time when life seemed to stop and to stand still. Life may be levity and it may be motion, but the magic of life is that, on occasion it tends to be motionless. The abeyance of life's flutter is often quieter than quietness and isolation. It is peace when you've known only war, and the resulting quietude produced by the absence of life's racket leaves your ears ringing. This story is about stillness and strength and magic and rain. It is about rising to hear the still movements of relationship. At this point in this small book, I hope it is clear that we really don't know what we are doing. Our focus is on being instead of doing, and our life is fixated on fostering the abundant animacy of all those around us, families, stone, calves, and weeds. But how this gets done is questionable. That is, we question the subject, but do not subjugate those in question. Cattle make the best cattle. Weeds are the best at being weeds. I've tried. But it is very hard to stand there and cast beauty for all and for none to see. And we accept this fully. Perhaps our lack of control breeds a relationship based in intimacy, with our place trumping any knowledge of animal husbandry. What does herding cattle have to do with asking them to move? All you have to do is ask. Under the August sun, Morgan and I were doing something we do not like to do. The herd was in the loading corral near the barn, and we were attempting to separate one bull out of it. The trailer was in place, and all we had to do was simply move 100 bovines from one side of the corral to the other, leaving Padraig on this side, alone. Our clothes soaked in the sun high overhead. We were failing miserably. Padraig, or Patty, was the herd's lead, and they followed him wherever he went. But today, we needed him to stay, and the herd to move on. But no one budged. In fact, if anything at all, the herd went the wrong way. Hours into our failing task, they occupied the corner opposite of the crowd's gate. Patty positioned at the front and center of his herd. If we were to circumvent them to attempt a push, we had to get past him. And Patty and I knew this. To this day, I doubt that he in this moment understood what was happening. But I do not doubt that he had his opinions. The herd was his not mine. And this was as clear in this August day as ever. On Wildland Tours, I describe our cattle as both docile and wild as hell. And in this moment, I lamented the latter part of that assessment. Many people believe that rewilding is the eradication of table manners. That wild livestock will break fences, abuse one another, force heifers to breed too young, or become too inflexible to manage for markets or to move for management. In this moment, however, it was our inflexibility as managers that posed the impediment for abundance to emerge. Time was ticking, 
and our airborne anxiousness was palatable. Morgan and I retired for lunch and a break, and we believe this pause would do an equal good for the herd as well. Never walk away from your problems, said someone not so intelligent somewhere. Whoever that was has never managed cattle. On occasion, it is the very best of things to just walk away, to let things be. C.S. Lewis writes in The Four Loves about friendship and life. I have no duty to be anyone's friend, and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. Friendship is the woody aroma of cigars that punch your palate and alivens your senses with every retro hail. And it is the potent dailiness of breath itself. It is seduction in the sea of survival, that which makes life living, worth living, and living itself. Lewis here is arguing that friendship is not the sustenance of life, but that which sustains value within a life well lived. Re-entering the loading corral, we decided to try something different. I cannot tell you how we came to this decision or how it came to us. In fact, Morgan and I never talked about it at all. We consumed our lunches in a tired and frustrated silence. But it did appear, and we rolled with it. I crossed the corral, walked straight up to Patty, and knelt down in front of him, not a foot from his hooves. I could hear his rhythmic breathing, and I could hear nothing else. The rest of the herd panted behind him, but that was no matter anymore. I sat back on my knees, fully knowing that this final position would heighten the intimacy of the moment from crazy to simply stupid. I was one step away from being crushed by a frustrated bull that I had chased around the corral all morning. This afternoon, I was nearly prostrate in front of him. I wonder what birds think as they look down on us puerile mammals. Do they laugh? Do they even care? To my surprise and great happiness... Patty lowered his muzzle and sniffed my shirt, leaving a trail of mucus as he went. Our eyes met, only inches from each other, and I lifted my hand to touch his tensed jaw. A silent pond, a soft touch, intimacy in dailiness. We need you to stay here, I whispered in a barely audible but friendly voice, no one else could hear except Patty and me. Perhaps I didn't say anything at all. It was only a moment, but it was also many moments, strung together to anchor memory to eternity. Once you've been there, you're there forever. Our eyes connected and things were said. It is time, I mumbled. You have to stay here. Perhaps you have read this entire book and believed every story. Maybe the magic revealed in this little spell book was just too much for you, and you put the book down and you are not reading this sentence. I said in the beginning that to see is to see the remarkable. I still think that is true. But if I would not have been here, positioned in front of Patty and sweating under the weight of the August sun, I do not know if I would believe me. 
What happened next is something that I still struggle to make sense of, something that I play back over and over again to dispute it altogether, but something that is altogether indisputable. The magic apparent within the wildland is one thing, but this was something else altogether. Wild like flowers, Patty stood still and did not move. He did not shift his weight or lift a hoof, but there was movement. The cattle were moving. Across the corral, Morgan stumbled in disbelief to the gate and opened the way for one hundred cows to gently pass through it. Patty stood silent as waves of cattle rippled around him, and I was on my knees in front of him. After shutting the gate to the fresh pasture beyond the corral, Morgan opened the gate to the trailer, and the symbolism killed us. I stood up, and I walked to the trailer, and Patty followed on my heels. I was crying. Morgan was crying. Patty walked straight onto the trailer, and then he turned around to face his blubbering friends. Splash. He said nothing, but his eyes said everything. Silence again. In this pure white moment, while gravity sprinkled upwards, happiness infiltrated in a peace that I had never felt before and have never felt again saturated everything. It covered us like oil, slowly and completely not entirely transparent, but transparent enough to know that something was happening, something beyond the humble drummery of humanity. It was one of those magical places wise people like to talk about. We did not shut the trailer's gate and he did not try to come out. We just stood there, listening, learning and thanking creation for what it is, the most creative gift of all. It was like rain rising. The Ojibwe's song of the buffalo resonates this gift of relationship and the magic of this moment. It also reminds me of Matso Basho's Silent Pond haiku. The buffalo, as they stand in a circle, I join with them. The buffalo are strength and sustenance because they first are a relationship. I join Perhaps they nourish because they are forever a relationship from birth to breath, life to death, evermore. The Ute story of creation is the story of the blood-clot boy, a figure that emerges from the blood of the buffalo. I join because I am. The hunt is not an action. To be with them, yes, that is what I want. The hunt is a state of being, and in this place the hunter and the husbandman become one in purpose. Old Lady Horse of the Kiowa wrote in the 1960s of this hunter-husbandman relationship. The buffalo were the life of the Kiowas. When the white man wanted to build railroads, the buffalo tore up the railroad tracks. The buffalo loved their people as much as the Kiowas loved them. Death is not the end. And it is not the beginning. It just is, so that we, the whole complex coagulation of life, can be. To join with them is to participate in life so fully that differentiation transposes into community and death emerges into life. What is the difference between the Ojibwe consuming a buffalo, bacteria consuming organic matter, and nematodes consuming bacteria? You consuming a carrot or bacteria consuming you to feed the carrot. To be a hunter-husbandman is to love so completely that you will charge the locomotive knowing all too well that its rich fire will come anyways. 
Yes, it is to be wild like flowers, alive, humble, beautiful, and yet powerful. Grief and glitter, friendship is life sustained not by worth, but by relationship. Life survival is founded in relationship, but death is also life. Anne Bronte, the poetic sister of Emily, wrote, Farewell to thee, but not farewell. Nothing is lost that thou didst give, nothing destroyed that thou hast done. Nothing is lost that he didst give. Yes, friendship is giving, and to be a relationship is to be the gift of life itself. Yes, to be relationship is to be life abundant. Patty taught me that. Now that you know, read chapter 8 once more, for it was written the following evening. You see, the key is not how we think. Thought is not the remedy to solving today's problems. We do too much thinking, and that is the source of today's problems. The human mind has long received over time. The key to restoring Eden, to regenerating relationships and the naturally abundant processes inherent in her gifts, is to stop talking, to stop thinking, stop doing, and start being. Start living within the uniform diversity of relationship. Nothing is lost that is given. To be is to be the gift of life itself. Regenerative agriculture is about gifts and about being life, and it is not about anything else. Remember that ancient forest in its spring? Call back to your senses the rhythm of its lucid legitimacy and take off your boots. To walk in wildness is to foster the restoration of relationship, to reinstate honor and humility and purpose in a world thirsting for regeneration. It is in many ways far too real to regenerate from the inside out, from the soul to the soil. But this walk was long, and now dip your naked feet into the thing that is life itself. Wash up, for it is time to pick up your seed catalogs. The no-till drills are waiting. We shut the trailer's gate and gave thanks, for life is wild like flowers. Your friend, Daniel.